Welcome to the Independent News Hour on WBAI 99.5 FM in New York. I'm John Tarleton, Editor-in-Chief of the Independent, New York City's progressive newspaper and website. We're online at independent.org. That's I-N-D-Y-P-E-N-D-N-T dot O-R-G. Also, our August issue is out on the streets and uh, news boxes on uh, street corners around the city, libraries, and other venues. So we'll talk later in the show about our cover story from the August issue. But first, we turn to Afghanistan and the unfolding crisis there. Joining us today to talk about the latest from Afghanistan, why the U.S.-backed regime collapsed so quickly, and what the future may hold are two longtime peace activists, Kathy Kelly and Medea Benjamin. Kathy Kelly is the co-founder of Voices for Creative Nonviolence. She visited Afghanistan many times over the past decade and worked closely with peace activists there. Medea Benjamin is a co-founder of Code Pink, Women for Peace. She also visited Afghanistan a number of times during the U.S. occupation. Kathy and Medea, welcome both of you to WBAI Radio. Well, thank you, John, for your welcome, and it's good to be with Medea. Yeah, same here. Great to see you both. Yeah, a great uh, great uh, team here. So first of all, uh, uh, we'll start with Kathy and Medea, you can chime in on this as well. What's the latest you're hearing from people uh, you uh, know back in Afghanistan? I understand a number of them have been uh, reaching out to you. Well, in fact, um, it's not certain how long they'll be able to do that. In one case, I have a young friend who is burying his phone every night and uh, because in his rural provincial village, the Taliban are searching homes. Uh, systematically. He's he's quite frightened. Uh, there are others in Kabul who, who just are living with great, great uncertainty. They've heard from people in their home provinces about uh, terrible human rights violations that came with the Taliban in, in intervention and invasion. And so um, many have said, we want to survive and, and would like to get out but of course, right now, the airports are closed down. The embassies are, um, many of them, uh, closed down. The um, Western Union outlets are closed down. And so uh, the pipeline, more or less, to try to leave the country is, is, is actually very fraught at the moment. And we don't know. You know, We really don't know um, to what extent people can uh, maybe exhale for a bit but but one thing that i think we do know is that the conditions in the country in terms of health care and nutrition and uh you know many other factors of survival beyond surviving bombing and attacks are just wretched this the situation is uh, uh, you know factor in severe severe drought and a third wave of covid so our, our, our friends have reason to be anxious, tense, and uh, very, very fearful for their futures. And Medea, have you been hearing anything from people back in Afghanistan? Uh, yes, I have. And I would agree with what Kathy says, that you hear worse reports, and those are secondhand uh, in the countryside that I've heard. Uh, more in the city is uh, that things appear to be calm. Uh, that people are uh, surprised at the press conference that the Taliban spokesperson held today 
in which he said that there will be no revenge, uh, that there will be an amnesty even for people who worked with the United States, uh, that uh, women and girls will be able to go to school and work, although he put it in the context of Sharia law and who knows how that will be interpreted, but a tremendous effort to show the international community that this is a different Taliban than 20 years ago. We've also seen a very small group of women out on the streets uh, protesting for women's rights, and they were actually um, given security by the Taliban. And another quite extraordinary sign was an interview done with one of the Taliban leaders by a woman journalist, uh, which you would have never seen 20 years ago. So I'm not saying that the Taliban will be good or that we should uh, uh, assume they will fulfill their promises, but I do think that they have learned a lot in these years uh, that they can't be as repressive and misogynist and backwards as they were 20 years ago, and that the international community is watching very closely now. Social media is very active, uh, and um, this will hopefully uh, it, uh rein in some of the worst uh, instincts of uh, some of the Taliban. And I think there's also a need to recognize that there are rogue members of the Taliban, oftentimes in the small villages, that uh, cannot be controlled by the leaders at the top. So I think uncertainty is really the key word. Right. It and speaking of 20 years ago, next month, uh, New York City and the nation will mark the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks on the World Trade Center and the Pentagon that saw almost 3,000 people killed and provided the rationale for going to war in Afghanistan and later in Iraq as well. Uh, the World Trade Center attacks here in New York actually took place only a few blocks from where WBAI's old office was located, and it's obviously a traumatic day for the whole city as well as the country. And before we talk about the arc of the long conflict in Afghanistan, uh, here are the voices of three of the four presidents who have presided over the war in Afghanistan, starting with George W. Bush speaking to a crowd of first responders at the World Trade Center site uh, days after 9-11. And the people who knocked these buildings down We'll hear all of us soon. And as Commander-in-Chief, I have determined that it is in our vital national interest to send an additional 30,000 U.S. troops to Afghanistan. After 18 months, our troops will begin to come home. How many more lives, American lives, is it worth? How many endless rows of headstones at Arlington National Cemetery? I'm clear on my answer. I will not repeat the mistakes we've made in the past. Mistake of staying and fighting indefinitely in a conflict that is not in the national interest of the United States, of doubling down on a civil war in a foreign country, of attempting to remake a country through the endless military deployments of U.S. forces. Those are the mistakes we cannot continue to repeat. 
Those were uh, Presidents uh, George W. Bush uh, in 2001, uh, whooping up the crowd to go to war in Afghanistan, and then uh, Barack Obama in 2009 announcing the surge. And then that was Joe Biden speaking yesterday, defending his uh, decision to withdraw all U.S. forces from Afghanistan. Uh, Medea and Kathy, your thoughts on the trajectory of this war and and how it started and where it's uh, ended? John, in terms of repetition of mistakes, uh, it seems to me that it, it, the, the militarists just simply do not uh, give up their presumed right to always get the upper hand. They make mistake after mistake after mistake after huge bloodletting and great cost and destruction. And yet there's still the presumption that they should get the lion's share of the budget and be able to control um, so many aspects of lives in our country and elsewhere. And, you know, in June of this year, the Air Force requested $10 billion to fund their, uh, quote, over-the-horizon plans to still be able to use uh, unmanned aerial vehicles or drones, weaponized drones and surveillance drones in Afghanistan and other manned aircraft. And President Biden has long said that he felt that the best strategy for Afghanistan was a combination of special operations forces, surveillance and weaponized drones and uh, aircraft capacity to bomb Afghanistan. So, you know, in terms of mistakes, I think we ought to recognize that the United States has now basically equipped the Taliban with very sophisticated on-the-ground weapons because they were able to confiscate those from the Afghan forces in um, place after place all the way across Afghanistan. I mean, can you imagine if in our country a group of people with a track record like that of the Taliban were enabled by another country to acquire very sophisticated weaponry that they could then aim against our people? You know, I think we would not be... a a group of people who would feel uh, confident about our future. So it seems to me this is the teachable moment when we have to start asking how many more colossal failures and enormous mistakes must the U.S. public be asked to pay for, to bankroll, before we will start to say it's time to dismantle this extremely, exceedingly dangerous and flawed military-industrial complex. And, Medea, your thoughts as the as the hawks uh, clamor on uh, cable TV for uh, Biden to take the fall for the war? I think it is a brave decision of Biden to follow what Trump did because Trump did negotiate a uh, exit of U.S. troops that was supposed to happen in May Biden postponed it until September, and he stuck to it, which is a positive thing. Uh, We should recognize, though, that the exit has been horrific and that they had so much time since the beginnings of the talk with the Taliban 18 months ago to start getting these visas for not just the interpreters, but for the people who worked with the U.S. in other capacities, as well as the uh, work with the NGOs. Uh, people who would feel that their lives might be at risk and would want to leave. This could have all been done in such an orderly fashion 
uh, so many months ago. So leaving that to the end, having those horrific scenes in uh, Kabul airport and the uh, horrific deaths that we saw of people hanging onto planes, um, that was just, uh, uh, a, unfortunately, a um, symbol of the botched 30, uh, 20 years of the U.S. presence in Afghanistan. And it pains me to see these generals who uh, administration after administration lied to the American public saying that victory was just around the corner. Uh, and the, quote, military intelligence who couldn't even uh, tell us that the uh, the Taliban was ready to take Kabul in a couple of days. And yet we see these same people on the TV now who are the experts, uh, all kinds of people who supported this invasion over the two decades, uh, instead of the people like Kathy Kelly, who put her life on the line for peace many times by going to Afghanistan under very difficult circumstances. I want to hear from us, the peacemakers, and I think the American people deserve to hear from the people who got it right from the beginning, saying there was never any reason to invade Afghanistan. That was not the right response to 9-11, especially if you recognize that 15 of the 19 hijackers were from Saudi Arabia and that war is not the way to confront terrorism. So um, I would like, as Kathy says, to see this as a moment when uh, we dress down the military for the, the 20 years of uh, trillions of dollars that should have been spent on uh, all the needs that we have in this country, as well as helping impoverished people around the world. And uh, and that we need to get on board the people in this country that are working for uh, affordable housing, for Medicare for all, for elimination of the student debt, uh, for all of those things and say now is the time to come and get $350 billion by cutting the Pentagon budget in half. Uh, and that the American people deserve that money to be invested in real needs instead of making people's lives miserable, uh, both thousands of miles away, as well as the U.S. soldiers who were killed and maimed in this war. And why why is it that there's almost this uh, cult around the, the generals uh, and the military people with you know, the puff out their chest with the medals all over the place and like we're supposed to be in awe of them? What do you think is the source of that and, and how do we get past that? Because, it, frankly, it's almost infantilizing to have these people strut around and be on television and, and testifying in Congress and lie to our face over and over again. And and yet we're always supposed to, like, revere them. It's, it, either one of you are welcome to tackle that. Well, you know, I think after the Vietnam War, um, gosh, I can remember, I did not know a soul when that war ended, who would say, gee, let's do that again. And so the generals, the Pentagon, the military industrial complex, they got to work and said, we are not going to let that syndrome be repeated, the Vietnam syndrome, wherein people would be so down on the United States intervening in the affairs of another country and bombing the daylights out of them. And so, I mean, they were very systematic in figuring out ways to um, purchase for themselves major, major institutions. And I do mean purchase. You know, there are very few independent radio stations in the United States. I don't need to tell you that, John. 
And um, so when it comes to uh, think tanks having figured out ways to make sure that universities, media institutions, even faith-based institutions would become more and more reliant on militarism because it goes right into their budgets and into their classrooms and their curriculums. And and if they reject it, then they get punished by this um, military-industrial complex. It's, it's, it's so extensive. They've got a vice-like grip on education. So you won't find mainstream media groups rejecting the generals when they're at their doorstep all set to testify. And I, I think that uh, this certainly should be a time when, as Medea says, you know, the militarism is dressed down, especially when we can't have a rational conversation about climate change or pandemics if we don't talk about dismantling the military. But I, I, I don't see that happening anywhere commensurate to the need for it. In fact, you know, as we speak, they're, they're banging the drums to go to war against China uh, to, to keep on exacerbating antagonism with Russia. Uh, and 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 also the, the heartlessness, the cruelty of being obedient to the militarists who do not exhibit care for everyday human needs of people in the countries that they've ravaged. The heartlessness of that, you know, there's got to be, in a sense, some blowback to that. It's not good for the culture to be so dominated by by these generals. So yes, they puff out their chests but I'd like to know where their hearts are. That's great, Kathy. And I just want to add that it's um, good you talk about the grip they have on the educational system. And let's remember the grip they have on our Congress, on on the cabinet. Uh, This revolving door is just disgusting to see how you have members, uh, generals, that sit on the board of weapons companies and that this is just a cycle. Um, they have a lobby group and, you know, they, they lobby the American public with our money. They have billions of dollars that they put into propaganda to sell themselves to us, uh, not at our, uh, the biggest sports events, at religious events, all kinds of insidious ways that they insert themselves uh, into the culture and the fabric of this country. And I think it's a, a indicative that it's very hard to find even the progressive Congress people coming out right now and saying, we never should have been in that war to begin with. This was a 30-year debacle, and I'm demanding now to see that this uh, military-industrial-congressional con- con- uh, complex be cut. Um, there's a lot of silence going on now. Uh, in the Congress, except for the people on the right who are saying that Biden should never have left, that we should be back in there, blah, blah, blah. But where are our advocates that we need right now to turn the narrative around and say, now is the time to educate a public who wants to hear this because the public is sick and tired of these endless wars, uh, but needs to hear now it's time to cut the Pentagon budget. Right. And uh, also note that uh, uh, Pacifica, WBAI, is part of the Pacifica radio network. And Pacifica was founded in the night, in late 1940s by uh, conscientious objectors to World War II who wanted to create a radio network that could uh, be a channel for, for peace and, and dialogue among people. So 
We're proud to have that history. And, and uh, Medea, also, what is is Code Pink uh, involved uh, with uh, efforts to um, help uh, bring uh, refugees out of uh, Afghanistan or uh, on, on sort of that humanitarian end of things? What are y'all calling for? Yes, we are um, busy on many fronts. We are raising funds to be able to relocate some of the women that we have worked with over the years and who uh, feel that their uh, lives are at risk right now and to supply them with some funds for uh, living in the places that we are able to get them visas for relocation. Uh, We are pressing our Congress to do more to pressure the administration uh, to speed up the uh, visas for the various uh, groups that have worked with the U.S. over the years. Uh, There is now, uh, on the latest press conference that the Pentagon did, they're talking about getting uh, five to 8,000 people out every single day, uh, which is a a pretty amazing ramp-up of the the ability to deal with all the people who are at the airport now and uh, desperate to leave. Uh, So these are some of the efforts we're involved in, as well as pushing that the United States be the biggest donor to the international community efforts for humanitarian aid. Uh, It's awful to see people like Laura Ingram on Fox News saying, we really don't have a responsibility to the Afghan people. We certainly do. And a lot of that responsibility is not just getting out the people who want to leave, but also providing, as Kathy said, for the desperate needs of the people who are staying. Okay, well, we'll have to leave it there for now. But uh, Medea Benjamin and Kathy Kelly, thank you both for joining us on WBAI Radio this evening. Thank Good to be with you. Okay, we'll be back after this short break, and we'll talk about New York City parks and the, their history and the, the struggle to make those parks uh, serve ordinary people and not just the rich. <laughs> 